Triple blessings to you all. Welcome back to another episode of Discuss Foundation. Today we're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 9, The First Crisis. Brian, can you tell me who directed and wrote The First Crisis? It is from, so far, one of my favorite directors, Roxanne Dawson, and written by Victoria Morrow. Awesome, guys. As always, for an overview here, we are going to go into our general feelings on the podcast to start where we think the uh, episode ranks in relation to the others. Um, we're going to hit into a recap where we kind of go into a little more specifically about the episode and our thoughts about it scene by scene. And then lastly, we're going to give our predictions on where we think the episode is going to go in the next one, which should be fun. Um, before I kick it over to Brian for his thoughts on the episode, I do want to give a quick disclaimer. Uh, we have not read Isaac Asimov's book series. So if you guys are looking for kind of content that's related to the differences with the books or how something relates to the books, we're not the podcast for that, unfortunately, but there are. Um, definitely podcasts out there that tackle that subject matter. So, so keep an eye out for those. I know Apple has an official one as well. I did want to take a quick moment, guys, to thank all of you for uh, subscribing to the channel. Um, it's been so awesome going through these last this this season with you guys and and talking yeah. about theories and having discussions in the chat. You guys have been like awesome and supportive and and engaging in there. So I just want to thank all you guys for contributing and being a part of the channel and subscribing. We have had a lot of fun doing this podcast so far. This is our first kind of discuss podcast uh, after show. And we're going to continue it on here after the end of this season. We only have one more episode after this one. Yeah, we are continuing unfortunately. It on. Yeah, unfortunately. But we are going to continue on the Discuss podcast. Um, we are uh, just announced yesterday. We're going to be doing Discuss Hawkeye, the Hawkeye original Marvel series. Uh, we're going to do an after show for that. It's going to be me and my friend Jace are going to be doing a podcast for Hawkeye, man. So I have the trailer linked yep. here. So make sure to check that out. And if you guys are going to watch that show, um, you know, come join us and be a part of the discussion. It's going to be a really fun time. If there's any show you guys have coming out or you want to see covered, uh, let us mm -hmm. know. Put it in the chat, put it in the description, and we'll discuss it. Nick, we'll see who he could co-host with and stuff mm -hmm. like that and go from there. But so definitely if there's a show that's coming up soon and you're like, hey, I want you guys to cover it, drop it there. Absolutely, guys. We are always open to suggestions. I have very eclectic taste in TV, so don't feel free to throw everything in there that you think. Uh, would make for a really fun after show podcast and we'll definitely take a look at it um but with that exciting news out of the way brian what were your thoughts on season one episode nine the first crisis so i'm gonna read exactly what i sent to you after i saw the episode yeah <laughs> and it goes like this i saw the episode during my lunch break and holy shit is it good well it was okay just an episode um <laughs> the reason why i was like holy shit was because of the ending the ending of the episode was like it made sense and i get it and it was a really cool take on it a lot of interesting things when we get there to that point but it gave us so many things that we've been wanting it answered a lot of the questions that we didn't know about and i just loved how well constructed this episode was everything about it was good it was bright it was moving the storytelling was unique and I, I didn't feel lost i didn't feel like guessing like what the hell is going on like some of the episodes mm -hmm. so definitely one of my favorite episodes so far i i know i keep saying almost after everyone like oh that's my favorite episode but this episode builds up perfectly to the finale and it mm -hmm. does its job which i really enjoy the build-up episodes and when they do a good job building it up it's just a really great thing for the final episode because it takes care of so many different things and doesn't rely on the final episode to answer other stuff so yeah so right. definitely enjoyed this one uh what about you what were your initial thoughts yeah so just to put a bow on it too um is this is this your favorite just for people that are like i guess uh ranking it i guess or whatever would you say this is your favorite one of the season i might have to say yes because i know uh barbarians at the gate was one of my favorite ones and i really enjoyed that one a lot mm -hmm. i think this overtakes barbarians i think this is my favorite cool. just because to me it was like the perfect uh setup to the final episode and the fact that it was that good of a setup I have to put up there and every season the penultimate episode is the episode right before the finale and generally that's where all the banger stuff happens that's where like all the consequential stuff occurs and this was definitely no different um i was yeah. kind of expecting that because it because shows usually episode nine of a 10 episode season is the one where everyone's like oh my god did that really just happen and this kind of was that episode as well um i really enjoyed this episode i wouldn't say it's my favorite uh i don't you know i don't know maybe if i sit with this longer just a just disclaimer for you guys i watched this right before we're recording so it's kind of raw for me as much you know there's still a lot of a lot of questions swirling in my head that i'm sure we'll get to maybe i'll 
uh, flesh this out as we talk about it. But um, as of right now, yeah, I'd say it's like it's like definitely like a top two or three episode for me. It's really fun. Yeah. Foundation is at its best when it's moving fairly quickly. Yes. And it's uh, not not quickly on like a time scale, but quickly in pacing yeah. um, and 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 um, kind of having a lot of events and plots occur, I think because of the visuals and everything, it's just so dynamic when they do that and they don't, they're not bogged down in kind of inconsistent character stuff that they've struggled with, in, in my opinion, throughout the season. So I had a lot of fun with it, but uh, we're gonna go ahead and dial down and get into this recap here. Yes. A lot a lot of stuff to talk about in this one, so we're gonna try to not waste too much time. Um, the episode starts with a uh, a really fun kind of flashback with Abbas. We've been, uh, we, yes. me and you both like Abbas, the actor that plays him and the character oh, yeah. as well. So. There was a fun little Abbas scene. What uh, what kind of stood out to you about that flashback with uh, with Salvor and Abbas? It should have happened like five episodes ago to build the connections before he died. Uh, mm-hmm. But I liked it because it gave her, it gave him and her a connection that we were wanting, that we were like dreaming for. And you saw a young Salvor and you connect to him. And it was something that we've been dying for, the connection to these characters. And it was just really, really, really great that we got to see an intimate moment between them so i enjoyed it so much just to see the connection it fleshed out a connection like after he had already gone and it was like i don't know had we kind of seen that connection there it probably would have made his his uh his death a little more impactful i think and that's kind of what we talked yeah. about in that episode so um but better late than never we get this cool kind of emotional scene between them and yep. it's it's kind of it's kind of needed and um, or it's welcomed at least. There was a couple things. Uh, Abbas was out there just dropping straight truth bombs throughout that entire scene. He said some stuff that I wrote down that I thought was really interesting. Well, you guys can let me know if this is in in the books or if this was from the show. I'm assuming it's from the books just because I feel like it's it's really well written. But uh, he says sometimes emotions shout louder than logic. I thought that was a really good line. Yeah, and that's definitely something she echoes later in the episode as well. Um, also, he says violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. I think that's a really good line too. And I think I've heard people uh, that read the books say that before. So I think that's straight out of the books as well. Okay. Um, and I'm going to get into kind of where I think that's really resonant with her character later. Um, also, before there's narration from Gail, like there's been in a couple episodes as well. Yeah. It makes you kind of call into question like this seems like it's a it's a past um, reflection from Gail, which makes you think that, okay, well, wherever we are, like wherever this ends up, Gail is there because she's ref- she's like referring to everything in a past tense, which yeah. I think is interesting. And it, it kind of adds a dimension to her character as well. But we jump straight from that into this kind of this disorientation scene of Salvor yeah. um, jumping uh, in the jump in the jump ship. She's the only one that's conscious, I'm assuming, throughout that um, that process there. And she's seeing like flashes of the past and the f- yeah. and and and, uh, and seeing just- like, yeah, and seeing like kind of time kind of jumble together and stuff. Yeah, because it assume because it's kind of unique how they do it in that stuff. Because you also kind of think that her flashback with her father was part of that jump sequence. Mm-hmm. So that was like a really cool transition from those two. Where so I didn't mean to interrupt, but I thought it like oh no no, no brought no. it up that it was a really cool transition that she had her father, and then it's her to this orientation in the jump in the middle of the jump and stuff like that. Yeah, going from a flashback to like this jumbled time mess is is uh, is really is a really good way to kind of visualize that disorientation. I think that was a cool yeah. uh, directorial choice by what was her name uh, that did the directing? Do you know? Uh, Roxanne Dawson. Roxanne Dawson. Yeah, I thought that was a really good directorial choice there. So I thought initially that Salvor must be like psychically psych- psychically guided them through uh, <laughs> through the jump. Uh, I thought maybe her powers or something guided them through the jump. But she yeah. reveals that Lewis uh, looks like yes. he went into the um, the Matrix. He jacked into the Matrix to yep. uh, guide them to Terminus and sacrificed himself. It was a uh, it was a noble end to a, a very immoral kind of lame character that me and you were both kind of happy had passed. But like, uh, hey, man, he he that it, you know it's a, it's a it's a yeah it's a it's a redeeming um it's a redeeming act at the in the in the ninth inning there for Lewis. Yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, he got shot. He's done. And then it's like, oh, they jumped. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I guess he did something nice. He kind of saved the day. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, last minute. I mean, I'm still glad he's not going to be a part of seasons going forward or whatever. But, hey, you know, he did something right. So that was good. Um, then uh, the question that started coming up to me was a prediction that you had made in the last episode. You said that you thought that they were going to jump in Invictus and that they were going to jump through time potentially. And yes. I thought when they did the flashback to her jumping and it was showing time kind of being jumbled, I was like, oh, Brian might be onto it here. I think like they may be like it may be going through some kind of time vortex or something like yeah. that is what I was thinking. Um, and, and we'll talk about whether or not that turned out to be the case or not later. 
So my, my main question was when she jumped and she saw Terminus, I said, okay, we know where we are, but when are we? I didn't know when we were. Yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, this may be like thousands of years in the future, thousands of years in the past, whatever, because you wouldn't know just looking at the planet surface. So um, that's kind of the questions that were in my head there. And then the last thing I wrote down was the Beck. I think she says the Becker. Was that the name of the ship, the Hugo yes. ship? Yeah. Yeah, so she takes over the Becker. Yeah, she sees, I guess, the Becker, and that's when she makes the decision that she's going to do what she's going to do in the scene after this that we'll get to yes. momentarily. After this, we go to where she makes the decision, and then it's Brother Don and Azura, where they, mm -hmm. Azura goes and tells Brother Don about ancient tunnels, ancient ruins to help him escape the palace or the castle or wherever he's at. Yeah, so they're looking at their little holographic blueprints, and yeah. she is, I guess, they're coming up with some kind of um, far-fetched escape plan. That's going to yeah. work there. And uh, and she's kind of she's providing him hope that he can get out of this uh, kind of Orwellian uh, uh, <laughs> <Nightmare> <laughs> situation of... that he finds himself in. Yeah, she gives him uh, kind of tips on how to. Uh, yeah, like the tunnels and stuff yeah. like that. And then we go to this. I think I think probably like looking back on it, probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, really, really cool episode. But they, we go to this awesome corridor. It's super like the visuals in this scene were super well done. The colors were like gorgeous. The mural work was like amazing. But um, Brother Don goes to see Brother Dusk, who is called to that big hallway where they write the murals and they go into the lore of how it's Dusk's job to kind of keep up these murals and paint these uh, these paintings that showcase their achievements and follies of the past so that they know kind of it's their it's their record, the way of record keeping for the Imperial Dynasty. Um, what did you think about this scene with uh, Day and Dusk and, and everything in the mural? I thought it was very well framed, especially at the beginning where they're standing and you have the light in, in the middle of them and you just see the, the paintings there and how vast it is. Uh, it's really unique that they did that. Um, I love how the textures of the walls move. It's very well lit. The historical context of the the mural, we got it before in the first uh, two episodes. We kind of talked about, they kind of talked about it a little bit. Uh, they referenced it. We saw the one where they painted it and then they got rid of it. They killed one of the painters. And this is the first time we got to see it be used as a tool which was really cool and really unique that i really did enjoy that that part of it yeah no i thought it was great uh, i thought it looked amazing there was a couple little points that i wanted to hit on in this scene which was the uh we talked about before when they were on their hunting trip brother De brother don um killed those six raptors right and that's we're going to get to that in a second but um his assistant that was helping him was there and uh and and we said later that we I thought his assistant betrayed him and talked to the Shadow Master, and that's how they were able to find the other Raptors. That's yeah. kind of a prediction I made way in the way in the past that turned out to be true. Yep. Um, you can see the assistant behind Brother Dusk looking like a, looking like a shameful tattletale that he is. They foreshadow that there's six Raptors on the mural before they show uh, Brother Day until they reveal it to him. So that was really cool and really yeah. unique that they did that. I just thought visually this scene was like was gorgeous. I remember thinking like, wow, this looks so cool, the lighting and all that kind of stuff. So just to uh just to get into it as well, Brother Don is telling him these are our achievements. Um, it is my job to kind of keep record. And he says, I've added you to the record. So uh Brother Don is kind of taken aback and flattered and says, Oh wow, I've made it, I've done something to make it onto the mural. And he shows his three raptors that he shot during their hunting trip. And um, again, I want to touch on something that they touched in the beginning of the episode as well, but this whole episode has a theme that we're going to dive into a little more, but the whole theme is about record keeping and about the people who are responsible for writing, um, the, the history are responsible for kind of how it's painted and how it's perceived by everyone as well. I think I wrote the, the quote at the beginning says under the right scribe, a lie can become the truth. I think yep. that was a really, uh, really impactful line there, but it's it manifests in a, a lot of different ways in this episode that we'll definitely get into. The first one being here, um, Dusk writing the history on the walls very much from yeah. his perspective, where uh, other people could maybe see these murals as uh, terrible war crimes. They're kind of because it's it's Dusk and the Imperial Dynasty writing them. Yeah. They're 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 done very majestically and uh, and and stuff like that. So he shows Dawn the three raptors and says, uh, you've made it onto the wall. And then he very intensely kind of grabs him and says to um, to kind of take take time and let his achievements soak in or, or something yeah. along those lines where he's looking at the mural and, and really lets it soak in. So uh, Brother Don pulls out the gadgets that Azura gave him that correct his color blindness. So he puts them yeah. to his temple and only to see that um, 
there were three other raptors painted in the color that Brother Don is uh, blind in, uh, thus revealing that Brother Dusk knows of his differences and he knows that uh, he was testing him to see if he was going to lie to him or not and and test to see if he was colorblind. So the failed test happens and Don freaks out. So yeah, he sees the four raptors. I thought that was a great reveal. I thought that was such an awesome way to finally reveal that Brother Dusk knows what's going on. It was such a visual way to do that. And I just remember thinking, oh, that's, you know, you've got this, these gorgeous murals and you're hiding these raptors in color um, that are invisible to someone that's colorblind. I just thought that was yeah. a really inspired choice and, and stuff that they did. Uh, what did you think about that reveal? It was, it's perfect because it was his greatest weakness because he asked Azura, what's the color of the garden? I've never been able to see the true colors of it. Mm-hmm. So it it brings a lot of foreshadowing that, color is his weakness color is his downside because he's been able to do everything perfectly mm-hmm. like he knows the mannerisms the hand gestures the vocal tones and and things like that but he doesn't know the color palette he doesn't yeah. know the color i liked it i, I really love that they use color like a very harmless thing as a weapon yeah they, they improve on something that we've been critical of in past episodes which is the whole setup and payoff being so close to each other yeah i, I it reminds me i was like if this this one would would not have been nearly as impactful if in the beginning of the episode was when they revealed he was colorblind. You know what I mean? Yeah. But this has been like three or four episodes back that we've had that reveal of his colorblindness and it's kind of been building. And uh, for them to pay off this thread now is just so much more impactful in in this way. Like you said about the foreshadowing, I just think I just think it makes it so much more effective. Yeah. Um. So brother Don is packing feverishly. He's trying to get the, get out of there. He's going to have to yes. use his escape plan a little early. Um, in comes the Shadow Master Obrecht, I think, if I'm not mistaken. You yeah, guys can correct me. Obrecht. Yeah, Sat- Shadow Master Obrecht. And um, he comes in. I can definitely see him, like, in later seasons becoming one of my favorite characters. He's such a, ba- he's such a badass, that guy. He's really cool. Uh, yeah, he comes in uh, very stoic and uh, just says, you know, we need to go see Brother Dusk and starts forcing him out. Um, Brother Don uh, realizes that he needs to get away, so he uses his... Uh, imperial aura to knock out um shadow master obrick i the hardest thing about this is remembering when the scene ends and picks back up so it ends with him getting flushed down the giant imperial toilet uh (laughs) the very impressive giant imperial toilet so they also mention um they also mentioned that I thought was a funny, just a really quick note. They say Hyperloop Station, and I thought that was oh, yeah. funny because it's a sci-fi show, and they're like, "Oh, the Hyperloop was is that uh is that maglev kind of design that uh, Elon Musk came up with." I just thought that was funny that they add that in, like, "Oh yeah, we have a Hyperloop yeah. Station." I guess I don't know. If, I doubt that was in uh, Asimov's book, but I guess they they're 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 laying Easter eggs for kind of nerdy futurists like us, I guess. So. Uh, Salvor wakes up. She goes, yep. so she says the Becker, she sees the Becker and she has an idea. Um, the Becker must have came with him in the quantum wake as well. Yeah. And she is still slave to that ship or the ship is still slave yes. to her. I'm sorry. So she's able to kind of control it. So she makes the decision. Hey, I'm going to just jump and use my, um, my small reserves of, of kind of, uh, jet pack to get to the ship. Um, it's kind of a tense thing. She makes it just in time and gets onto yep. the ship there. And that's when she sees the debris. And I'm hoping maybe you can clarify something for me in here. They say there's debris approaching the ship and that the threat level is like not bad. And then it's moderate and then it's severe and it's revealed to be Hugo. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, do you know, cause I couldn't, I don't know if it's maybe I just couldn't see it in the, in the shot. Do you know if he was floating to her, like out of a ship or he was in a ship? I don't because I don't know I, why I don't know why it would it would uh, say that the ship is debris. You think that that ship would be able to realize that it's a ship and not debris coming at her? Yeah, I think it's just him. You think it's just him? Okay. Yeah, because I um I pulled it up right now and she's doing like okay okay I'm gonna be conscious I'm gonna be conscious I'm gonna I'm gonna use my feels and she realizes it's Hugo right before she hits the button. Yeah, so he's like floating towards her. Right. I, I yeah I I don't understand that at all and we'll, we'll get to that in a second here because I want to talk about the uh, where she, how she gets there to begin with yeah so Salvor Salvor uh, jumps uses the jetpack to get to the ship she makes it on board and then we kick it right back to Dawn who is um, who has been flushed down the Imperial toilet like we said and now yeah. he is in kind of a refugee camp it looks like of sorts for the Imperium um, where he's seeing a lot of the uh, a lot of the results of his uh, genetic dynasty, <laughs> seeing a lot of poverty, a lot of like broken people and, uh, and 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 poor people there in this impoverished part. 
he walks around uh kind of getting a gauge of his um yep. surroundings i was wondering like when someone's going to recognize him because he see i feel like he would be a very recognizable person in that scene um yeah. but yeah did anything jump out at you in that scene before i kind of go into more of the plot on it it was a great look at the impoverished, impoverished state. It was a great look that you would have feeders at the end of the Imperial or the Grand Imperial toilet because they are going to scavenge whatever they can. They're down on their luck. True. So, yes, to what's going on right now with some homeless where they hang out by restaurants, by right. well-to-do areas because they know that they can eat from the dumpster. So it's kind of a unique parallel that they that they have there with that. Yeah, it's a really good point. I didn't put that together, but that makes sense. It's probably a very fruitful place to hide out if you've got all of that, uh, all of the the uh, massive resources of the Imperium kind of being flushed that way. So uh, that would make sense. It'd be a kind of an opportune place to to hide out. He goes and finds a uh, a guy in a. Do you know in Zoolander when they're modeling trash? Yeah, <laughs> his jacket kind of looks like his jacket kind of looks like that to me um he trades his imperial aura for like a crusty jacket and i was like what like he could have gotten so much more for that but i totally get it he kind of talks about it later in the in the thing that he it was really just to kind of disguise himself which makes a lot of sense but I, at the yeah. time i remember thinking like he could have gotten so much more for that that like indestructible aura that you give somebody for like a crusty jacket i would ask for everything he had but it it was unique because it it wasn't just the disguise it also kept him kept him cool and kept him warm from the elements because right he's been in such a control controlled location that he hasn't really had to fare the elements like that in his entire life. And that, so this is the first time he has to like, okay, here's wind, here's the cold, have fun. Bye. So it goes from that. The guy gives him directions on how to get to where I guess Azora lives. And he, yep. he kind of knows where Azora lives. So he's getting directions there. Um, it cuts back to the bet. I want to say the Becker and I might be wrong. Is that the name of Hugo's ship? The Becker? Does it say at all? And it cuts back to that ship there, and that's when we get the reveal. She has scanned Terminus and found that there's no comm relays down there, so it seems like everyone's dead. And again, at this point, I don't know when we are, so I'm thinking, like, well, it does. It would make sense that there's no one there if we're, like, 3,000 years in the future or 3,000 years in the past. I still thought your time travel theory was holding up at this point. Yeah, <laughs> so, I thought so, too. I was like, yes, maybe she got, maybe that's how, like, the she could saw, see where the vault came and all that stuff. Right. So she says, she tells Hugo says, let's get out of here and let's just kind of live out our remaining days in happiness or whatever. And she says, I can't, um, I'm kind of drawn to this and I have to see this through. Um, so she's making the kind of heroic choice here. Yeah. And then, uh, again, uh, for clarification too, do you know, so if Hugo floated there without a ship, how is he leaving? Like, is somebody picking him up or the Thespans flying to pick him up or something? Or I, I think... Yeah, it was a little vague I, to me because it just shows like smoke. He goes into an airlock and there's a bunch of smoke. And I was like, is she just like ejecting him out in his face and he's going to float somewhere again? It's a super minor nitpick because, I mean, they could if they showed a ship, it wouldn't change anything anyway. I just I just remember thinking that kind of stood out to me as like, wait, is he just floating there with his body? And just like, <laughs> you know, I, and then I don't know. That was a unique scene before we get back to uh, Brother Don. It's just like it shows that Hugo loves Salvor no matter what, no matter who she is. He will always love her for what she uh, for who she is as a person that she has no nothing. She's just a person on a, an abandoned planet and he loves her for all that stuff. And when they talk about the her going down and not giving up the people and stuff like that, it shows that he will follow her no matter what. And I really do love that they've been setting that up. They've been showing that they've been, you've been seeing it and having this point where he admits it, like, I love you no matter what, but I know you'll never love me as much as you love Terminus or the people there. And it's, it's great. I love it. I love that they were able to include that. It's a higher calling for her where it's yeah. like, despite her feelings, she has to fulfill this and go through with it. Um, I think it's a good point. Like you made is that, the re I think the reason their relationship uh, it works at this point is because um, she's constantly been questioned by herself and by others all on Terminus and her parents yeah. about her intuition and about um, whether or not what it is is, is something that is good or bad, essentially. Um, yeah. And Hugo has always been the one that's just been 100% ride or die with whatever her in intuition is. Like yep. he's he's uh, he's he's with her no matter what. If she says she has a feeling about something, he never questions it. He just goes like, OK, well, let's you know, that's that's what it has to be. So it makes sense uh, their connection just because he's so kind of loyal to um, and, and kind of trusts her uh, her intuition yeah. more than even she does, I think. Um, so it goes from that scene to Brother Dawn back 
We are yes. in kind of a Blade Runner-esque kind of uh, bustling uh, kind of metropolitan area that's beneath the scar. And they made a point that it's beneath the scar where um, I think they say many people saw it as a crisis or like a, a horrible thing, but many also saw it as an opportunity and they loved to it. To finally see the clouds and stars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And right. what I lo- what what was so unique about this episode and what I love so much about it was like how he was walking to her place. He was like what he what she was telling him, describing how her journey home was in the earlier episodes. He got to see it firsthand. And I, I love the fact that they put her in there kind of like buying the stuff from the vendor and how they have something cut across the screen and she's not there, but the vendor's still there. So it was really unique. And then the kids playing, mm-hmm. it was just a very beautiful, brightful scene because you feel like he finally becomes a part of her world. And he's like, Oh my God, this is what you see every day. This is amazing. Yeah. And I love the fact that they put her in all those scenes. Yeah. Um, th- this is a, this is a weird reference for this show, but I think I wrote down, he reminds me of Jasmine and Aladdin. <laughs> You know how she's like out of the palace and she's seeing yeah. like all the stuff and she's like very uh she she wants to be a part of like a kind of more um lower class uh, lower class life a more interesting lower class life and uh Azor is very much like the Aladdin character that's you know yeah. a- in this scene but I I, I kind of wrote that down I thought that was there were kind of parallels between those characters there yeah I thought it was really tastefully done how he's seeing kind of flashes of her and kind of picturing her life in this setting and 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 all that kind of thing. And it makes kind of what happens later all the more heartbreaking for him. Um, he goes to her apartment. She seemed kind of surprised to see him. I mean, not too much happens. They're just kind of connecting on a character level. And then he leaves the room. He comes back in and she's gone. And then it's revealed that she comes back in the room with the gun and starts shooting at him. I'll give my I'll give myself some pats on the back here because I think like three episodes ago, I said she's definitely going to betray him. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, she's 100% going to betray him. Um, I didn't get how correctly so i will give the show a lot of credit for that because i didn't really see a lot of the stuff that they did yeah uh, plot point wise with that but she does betray him she starts shooting at him he he uh runs through the market and he bumps into some um some unsavory folks unsavory characters uh that knock him to the ground and he sees himself so we see like brother dawn at this point did you think what i thought was at this point was Brother Dusk already activated the test tube kid and that yes, the I test tube so kid too. comes to hunt him. That's what I was like, uh, thought happened uh, in that scene there. I thought um, so too, because like, just like the sh- pure shock is like, oh crap. So they, they did that quick. Mm-hmm. And I, and it kind of made sense that you, that you automatically think that it's a, the test tube baby because of the implant in the brain. Like they has this shared memory. So it's like, he'll know exactly where he was all the way up until the, right. to that point. Yeah. So uh, exactly. Yeah. You're, that's a that's a good point. Uh, he would he would kind of know all of his memories up until he was activated. So um, he would kind of know kind of where they were going, which would, which would make a lot of sense. But I don't I don't have an issue with where they took it because I think it's it's pretty it's kind of equally as interesting to me, too. Yeah. He sees himself and then we're cut back to Hugo on the Invictus with the Thespian soldiers. Salvor has tasked him with hopefully disabling the jump drives. Yes. So that um, they can use the Invictus instead of uh destroying it they do kind of gloss over how they disable the jump drives i don't did yeah well, I mean, you know what had, i mean they had three like, hours to figure it out so i guess so yeah and i i i but did they because they they end up on they end up on a uh, terminus in the in the final scene and i don't know if it's been 33 hours since you know what i mean so i, uh, I don't know that yeah. that kind of tossed that kind of kind of threw me for a loop a little bit there i remember thinking like wait hugo's here does that mean that they disabled the jump drives and uh, the the um, assumption is with the way Salvor was talking to Farah and stuff towards the end of the episode is that they did. So, yeah, yeah it, it seemed weird. They didn't show how they disabled the jump drives. It seems like it would be pretty easy if they were able to kind of do it that quickly. Um, so that was a little that was a little weird to me. Yeah. Um, and at, at the same time, they also have more more people than what Farah had because Farah literally just had like her, her boy. Cor- was it Corwin? No, no, it's Rowan. Rowan, sorry. So it's mm-hmm. her, Rowan, Sal, Random Arachnid, another one, and like four or five people from Terminus. So it's like it kind of makes sense that Despins had probably more people, so they were able to figure it out quicker. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but but I mean, Farah was trying to use like the all the people from the foundation who are like leaders of their field and stuff. This yeah. seemed like a tough nut to crack from what I was getting from that. And uh, yeah, I. I don't have an I don't have that much of an issue with it. I just wish they would have kind of showed 
like it seemed really easy for them to just disable the jump drives yeah <laughs> you know yeah know. a little bit so um it goes back to salvor on terminus she's there yes. and we're seeing this kind of mass genocide it looks like mass genocide of all these kind of bodies thrown along the floor i remember thinking like wow all those people are dead there's a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of vague uh pulse checking that i thought kind of kind of got tiresome where i was like okay like you know and 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 she seemed uh I, I don't know if it was the the performance but it seemed very vague as to whether or not they were dead or alive i couldn't tell if she's happy or like I, you know what i mean i can't remember she was checking pulses and i remember going like wait does is, is she is it dead are they dead or alive i'm not 100 sure yeah because she but, never she gave no indication it was like yeah yeah like, <laughs> right are they dead are they alive come on we need something just yeah i had no alive. idea maybe the show did that on purpose to kind of Keep the tension high i guess throughout the scene or something but the the null field has expanded like yes. was was kind of uh foreshadowed in the past episode that was going to happen and it's expanded expanded pretty quickly uh considering uh this is where we get our answer by the way that brian's prediction unfortunately did not turn out to be correct they didn't jump nope. through time because i remember not. thinking like if they did they, these bodies would all be decomposed at this point or something if it was far yeah. in the future so uh they they didn't jump in time they just jumped straight to terminus and it seems like in the time that they've been gone, the null field has expanded to a crazy degree where pretty much everything on the planet is uh, is knocked out, unconscious. Yeah. So Salvor is kind of walking along, uh, taking stock of of uh, her friends and family and, and kind of uh, their status. And she sees the vault and she yeah. goes towards uh, the vault to try to figure out what all this is about. She finds her mother uh, right yes. near the vault, and sh her mother has the Prime Radiant, uh, the the little flip and toss uh, Rubik's cube of knowledge <laughs> that uh, that Harry uses. She finds the Prime Radiant, and Salvor is going to give it another shot. Right? Um, what did you think about the scene where she gets to Terminus and finds the Prime Radiant and stuff? Did anything jump out at you? It did because she saw it. She knows that she that it's important to her. And we got to see more of her powers, more of her, mm. what is she, what is she able to do, where, what lies within her. So it was really unique that she kind of mirrored what Gail did of how she figured out how to open up the prime radius, mm -hmm. but using everybody else's memories to do it because she never really saw it open for the world to see. So I thought it was really, really cool that she's mimicking it and she's just getting used to the whole, what do I do next and just letting it come to her. Yes. And, uh, and, and letting it come to her is a really good, uh, line for that too, because one of the things I wrote down that I liked that they did is they cut to the scene of a boss saying, open your fist salvo. It's like, yeah. stop trying to control everything and just kind of let uh, life occur. I thought that was a, a really great callback in that yes. scene. Um, and it kind of, uh, I, I, again, I think you're right. I think the direction in this, in this one was really good, um, in the way that they kind of utilized those flashbacks and utilized those, yeah. uh, foreshadowed moments from, from the past and paid those off. I thought it was really well done. She, uh, Salvor mm -hmm. seems to be able to access Gail's lived experience. We've seen this yeah. a couple times in the past where when she went in and walked in on Harry being murdered, um, Salvor was kind of standing where Gail was standing and kind of dressed in the same clothes as she was dressed. And it seems like she's able to access gail's perspective and consciousness in certain situations um yeah and she uses that to figure out how harry opens the prime radiant she uses that kind of intuition and, and ability to see gail's lived experience to figure out how to open the prime radiant and when she does we get this crazy elaborate sci-fi moment uh oh, where, yeah where uh the foundation seems to be open or sorry the vault I keep saying foundation because I'm getting into a theory later that I have about it, but um, <laughs> I'm saying that anyway. She gets to the scene where she's uh, she opens a prime radiant and the vault kind of unlocks. She's unlocked the vault. The prime radiant seems to have been the key. And we see the, um, the metallic black of the vault melt away. And it's this huge kind of, uh, it kind of mirrors the prime radiant a little bit. It's very, yeah. it's very um, clear and gold and yeah. And it's super sci-fi and very alien looking. Uh, what did you think of that whole sequence? I thought it was really well constructed. I love the fact that it changes from the black to the gold. The colors were great. Um, it just lands and opens up kind of like almost a interdimensional like gate gateway or portal. And the way that they frame it, the way that they do it, it was really unique. Um, the ground shaking was good like they really put into thought like okay we have something going into the ground that probably weighs a couple of thousands of tons mm -hmm. what 
will be the reactions to it. So it was very well constructed. I, I love it. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder why it went into the ground. I'm not sure. It was, it was, it was weird that it just kind of like goes down and then tilts out and stuff. But it was definitely cool and, and really well yeah. done there. Um, I made a point to write down too that I thought in this moment it would be like this awe-inspiring thing for Salvor. Like she sees this like this amazing thing happen. They see this vault that she's seen since she was like her entire life kind of open itself to her from something she did. But she immediately has this kind of like a. Uh, this cautiousness to it where she says like this is where it ends she seems to have this yeah. like ominous feeling about everything that maybe is going to be explained in the next episode but she does not seem happy or relieved at all it's more just like this thing's open now and now like it seemed like she was referencing like now the bad stuff's going to happen like she has kind of uh, kind of a feeling of of stuff before we do as an audience because i feel like yeah. the natural reaction is oh my god this is so cool this thing uh is finally its mysteries are being revealed to us i guess so we go from that scene, that crazy, uh, crazy scene. Um, and again, a really well-directed scene with the flashbacks through Gail's perspective and stuff as well. I thought yeah, it was really I well love, done. I love when they figure out the the prime radiant. She's in Gail, uh, she's in Gail's clothes. And I thought mm -hmm. that was a really great take on that. Same position, yeah. same everything. Really cool. Um, we cut to uh, Invictus. It looks like Rowan is still alive. Um, and mm -hmm. also it is revealed that Farah is missing off of the Invictus. It's yeah. revealed that Farah has hopped on an Thespin Lancer and is looking to commandeer the ship. Uh, yeah, so she, I, she has one of the ships slaved to her. I don't know how the, she did, but yeah. One of the things I hate the most about Farah is... She has a history of this, and so far no one said no because it's like Aaron's like, oh, do this for me. Okay, boom, kills him. Do this for me. Okay, boom, kills him. When do you get to the point where like someone's going to be like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Why am yeah. I going to give you the ship? You're going to kill me anyway. I just got so tired of it. And, like It happens with the Thespian pilot. I'm like, can we not just like have Farrah just go, give me this item. Okay, boom. Yeah, and it, it, to your point too, um, she has she has been like i'm just gonna murder my way out of situations for a long time and and then it kind of changes later in the in the episode that I'll, i'm gonna get to but one of my uh one of my questions that that was raised there is regarding kind of farah's intentions because um it, she does something later in the episode that i didn't think really jives with her uh yeah her her personality there so she gets she commandeers one of the ships and then we go back to brother dawn who's uh awaking uh, who's awakening in a tied to a chair with those um, unsavory characters all around him. And he sees himself starts uh, transferring nanobots, the Imperial nanobots from yeah. our Cleon, our brother Dawn to this new kind of fake uh, yeah. Cleon there. And then all of a sudden the plan is revealed. Now we did get a prediction, right? So we're going to give ourselves pat on the backs for that too. But the prediction, right? Uh, that we got last episode was that we did say in this one we thought the insurrectionists were going to make themselves known and they definitely did um yes, did. Where, what we didn't uh, expect or what i didn't expect i don't know about you is that azura was one of the insurrectionists i think maybe you made you raised that i think maybe you raised that theory early on in one of the episodes but i think we well, had kind of dropped yeah. it um that, yeah. that azura was one of the insurrectionists that were um that were trying to kind of take down Tr trantor yeah i think we dropped it just because we were just like nah she like if they're they're making her into a very important character for brother day or brother mm -hmm. dawn they, she can't be all the way bad but yeah we're wrong right so they reveal that um it seems like the imperfections and i'm gonna there's another thing that i'm gonna get into predictions with later as well uh regarding this but the imperfections that uh manifested in brother dawn were of their design so something about yeah. they were able to sneak out dna from the imperium and then I, I forget. Can you do? You, can you elaborate on how they were able to change his DNA? Did they say or they didn't say? They just said they started manipulating it from the get go. Like they were able to start manipulating it. They manipulated him to have all these defects, and then it, it was he was designed like that on purpose. So and uh, and I, it alludes to a point I'm going to make in predictions what later as well. He's revealing his master plan, very Doctor Evil esque. They're talking about everything that's going to happen. <laughs> um, that he's, you know, his his master plan and everything, yep. and that he and Azora have been working towards this um, for a long time because he says the genetic uh, dynasty is an abomination and should be destroyed. So these are definitely kind of the terrorist uh, insurrectionists that they had been fearing. And then um, 
I, in a turn that I wasn't expecting, uh, all of a sudden our, our uh, resident badass Shadow Master Obrick comes in in his invisibility suit. Yep. I love the shot where he walks through blood with the invisible suit on. I, I thought love that was it. so cool. I just remember being like, this guy's such a badass. When the massacre happens, mm-hmm. I just love the fact that you just see the uh, doppelganger of Brother Don just kind of sit there, go, and you see his neck goes back and it's like, it spills open. I thought that was right. a really great shot. Like, it was very well yeah. done. Yeah, and future reference people, if you if you if you I guess if you're trying to kill someone with Imperial nanobots, the neck slitting is does the trick, uh, no problem. So yep. <laughs> if you could th- slit the throat, the Imperial nanobots can't really do anything about it. So just make a mental note of that, guys. Um, yeah. So yeah, Brother Dusk and uh, the Imperial troops come in and straight up massacre all of these insurrectionists. Uh, it turns out that Brother Dusk uh, had been monitoring the Dragonfly droid. That's um, that dawn and azura were using to kind of show him the world so they kind of knew uh pretty much everything that they were doing yeah um and dusk was monitoring that and he used brother dawn to as uh, to try to escape to find their hideout so he yep. was kind of tracking brother dawn waiting so it seems like brother brother dusk in a uh in a really cool move, just kind of had had his hands all over the situation from the get go. He knew exactly what was going on. He had Brother Dusk pegged from the beginning, and this was all a ploy to uh, to try to find these insurrectionists and root them out. And for that, I think he gets a he gets a round of applause. I think that's a pretty uh, that was yeah. pretty pretty impressive uh, forethought on his part. And um, it also brings me to a point where I want to talk about, which is I thought Terrence Mann was fantastic in this episode. Oh yeah, um, I love. Uh, I love his range. If you remember back on like episode three, when they show uh, him in his late stages of life and then turning into brother darkness, there's yes. like a vulnerability and tenderness to him in that episode. And then this one, he's got this intensity to him um, that I thought was, was like really palpable in these scenes. I remember thinking like, wow, he's really, um, he's really embodying that brother, that brother Dusk, the one that blew up Thespin and Anacreon. I was yeah. just like, that seems like the same guy. And I thought that was really well done for him oh, yeah. uh, performance wise. I think he was probably my acting standout of the episode. Yeah. What did you think of the Dusk reveal that he knew everything all along? One of the things that I thought was really great about the episode was how it framed the two uh, Cleons. One, the bad one in like darkness, like really dark light, and the other one in like really bright lights. I thought that was really cool. The Brother Dusk reveal was amazing. I love the fact that he just kind of, yeah, I've known from the get go and how like cavalier he was about it. And I do agree with you, Terrence Mann's performance killed it. Like it was just a unique performance, and he mirrored exactly what the other older, his old, his younger self. Mm-hmm. would have done like he incorporated a completely different persona and that was really great we've said it, that the acting like lee pace terrence mann cassian bilton mm-hmm. they've been able to play so many unique characters just using the same person and right. i really enjoyed that like the the cleons but this one definitely like i agree with you terrence mann stole the show like he mm-hmm. he killed it yeah it's been it's definitely been my most uh of the three kind of major storylines the cleon stuff has been really the most interesting for me it's been the stuff that's made me want to tune in the most and get kind of get me excited about each episode um he says something that i think sets up a really interesting conflict in the next episode uh that that we'll we'll probably talk on predictions i think there's gonna be a lot of predictions in this one just because there's a lot of consequential stuff that happened in this episode but uh he says that um or or, um brother dawn says it's not your call to make it's brother day's call to make and dust says you're correct brother day is on his way here so brother day coming back from the maiden has still not made his way to transor yet um he's on the way and brother or sorry brother dust says uh he hasn't made it yet but he will make the ultimate call as to whether or not essentially whether or not we kill you or we keep you around and then he says a quote that uh he says i doubt his experience on the maiden has made him more serene and I said, and that kind of calls back to what we talked about last episode with whether or not, yeah. uh, I think if there, if it, I think it's very possible that brother day's experiences on the maiden did make him more serene because, yes. uh, he, he did go through that spirit walk and, um, and was helped by that, uh, that man. So it is possible that he's softened some in this, uh, in this trip. So that's going to be a, a big reveal for, it's going to, it's going to set up a really great conflict between day and yeah, dusk yeah. in the next one. And it's also going to be very interesting to see how day handles this crisis and situation, given his past experience on the maiden. So it goes from that scene back to terminus, I believe. Is that right? Salvor, because she has cracked the vault, the, the null field that has been keeping people asleep through this entire thing has been lifted. So everyone that was knocked out from the null field has arisen 
and they're all running to the vault, and the Anacreans are as well. So we've got this tense standoff between the Anacreans and Terminus, and then all of a sudden Hugo's warships um, fly in. Uh, the cavalry comes in. There's these cool, uh, there's these cool like handguns. There's, yeah. They're like these little remote controls that they use with their hands, and it turns turns the guns uh, gunships on them. And uh, I thought that was that was kind of a cool thing. The the spacecraft flying, I mean, the graphics were amazing in this episode. The spacecraft flying in particular felt a little, uh, didn't feel up to par for me. I remember thinking like yeah, these, but it, it's a, it's a TV show. So I'm just kind of like, it's tough to, it's tough yeah, to like critique it that much, but there were a lot of moments where I was like, oh, that CG doesn't look that great compared to all the yeah, other stuff. And I, one of the, like, this has been my biggest criticism of the show so far. Um, I've been very harping about it. Farah does all these crazy 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 things and somehow everything just turns up in her favor like violence is always the answer to her mm-hmm. and when she's starting to shoot like the other ships it's just like okay so she shoots that she comes back around she shoots the one it starts falling down but all of a sudden it jerks back up and hits the other one it's like yeah how, how is that like i just can't stand the fact that she has like the perfect everything just goes in her favor i just can't stand it and yeah there there are a lot of plot moments that feel convenient that being one of them is that she's able to kind of take out those two gunships pretty pretty easily coming in yeah the other thing though that that kind of irked me more than that was that she's her intention is to kill all of them and she was in a, a ship that had a bunch of guns that she could have just she could have just taken them all out like right yeah. then and I remember thinking she kind of shoots them circles around takes out the two gunships then she lands um and gets out of the ship alone to yeah. have this tense standoff. And I remember thinking, like, this doesn't fit with her. I, I, I feel like Farah up until this point would have just probably kamikaze bombed all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, just, exactly. to, just to take them all out at this point. Or at least just pick them all off and shoot them all from her gunship. I don't think she really... They they were all planning to blow... To suicide bomb Trantor. So I remember thinking, like, why is she, like, getting out of the ship to, like, talk to them? And then, and then they set it up that she's going to shoot them after. And I'm like, why wouldn't she have just shot them in the ship to begin with? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, that, that seemed a little inconsistent for me. And like you said, it did seem convenient that she was able to take out those two gunships that, that kind of easily. And it sets up a, uh, a what is it called? A Mexican standoff where it's like three people. Yeah. Uh, the Thespans, the Anacreans, and Terminus all kind of pointing guns at each other. Um, yeah. And then, and then the Iraqan or Anacreans point guns on Farah because they're like, they lost mm-hmm. hope with her because they're like, okay, you're done. Yeah, and then the vault starts opening up with something, and she's like, "Ah, I'm gonna blow up the vault instead now." Mm-hmm. She starts shooting at the vault, and that's when um, Salvor makes the decision. She goes and grabs Farah's um, fabled mythical bow, a uh, very important uh, sacred bow from Anacreon, picks it up and kills the Huntress of Anacreon with her own bow. Thought that was a that was a good. Uh, yeah, I know you're really you're really relieved far is gone. <laughs> so happy. You said something really interesting a couple minutes a couple seconds ago, which was Farah for Farah violence is always the answer. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on that because I think one of the things that's good about Farah's character um is that she presents a really good foil for Salvor because yes. if you remember when the Anacreans first showed up in their in their gunships uh to Terminus and they were in the sky, um Lewis was trying to make kind of diplomatic solutions and say, we need to hail them, call them, call Terminus. And Salvor was very much like, we need guns. We need to get yeah. uh, defenses ready and we need to be ready to attack if all this stuff happens. She seemed very okay with violence at that point. And I think it's showing her maturity over the season and kind of her arc has been her leaning more towards diplomacy because she sees where the violence route takes her in Farah. So I think yeah. when she sees Farah, she sees kind of how, kind of uh, what that violence, no matter what mentality brings you. And I think um, she, in this episode tells them we can all use Invictus and work together. And I think that's kind of an, that's kind of an arc for her yeah. of, of, uh, of moving toward a more dep- diplomatic, um, diplomatic understanding of things. Yeah. And I agree with you. I agree with you on that one that she mm-hmm. is a good foil to Salvor. Like she is the violence and Salvor is the diplomacy because Salvor saw the life that she had and she saw like more of her life and ways that she could have changed and not go so deep into violence. And I think you are right that when she did that, she realized she needs to start taking, taking more diplomatic approach. That's why she started working on Rowan, start right. trying to change his mind, start trying to 
let him know like, Hey, look, I feel what you're feeling. And mm-hmm. I'm the same way. We all have doubts about what Farrah really wants to do. We're she's, she's up to something and she's not telling you guys what she's up to. Right. And it so, directly, and that, that change directly goes back to, uh, a, um, a quote from a boss early in the episode where he says, um, violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. And I yep. think that uh, that ties all of that together. And it says that um, now Salvor kind of understands what a boss meant when he said that it's the last refuge of the yeah. incompetent. It's the easy way out. It's uh, and she sees that in Farah. So I think that that whole thing, even though Farah's um, even though Farah's uh, intentions or her um, just, I'm, I'm sorry, her uh, motivations for doing the yeah. things felt super shallow to me. And I didn't like that. Uh, she didn't have a good reason for wanting to do the things that she did really. Um, I, I like that foil and that uh, kind of circular reasoning of violence being the last refuge of the incompetent yeah. and Salvor kind of coming to that full circle uh, in this episode. Uh, yeah. And then we, so we go from that because uh, I think we're about in an hour here. So we'll go ahead. Yeah. We're going to go into our predictions here, but right before we oh, do wait. that, the big reveal yes. is, uh, is the, the vault opens up and who should walk out uh, a, a, a blurry figure reveals himself to be Harry Selden walks out and says, I've got Thespans and Anacreans. We must be doing something right. Hopefully there's still hope for the galaxy. So this all seems like old Harry knew it all along. Yep. Uh, and uh, he walks out. The question becomes for me, is he Harry Selden or is he like a hologram or so, it, it, like how is he manifesting in this way? And we'll, we'll get into that in predictions, I think. Yes. But what did you think of this reveal um, at the end of the episode? It was kind of, it wasn't that it was obvious, but you kind of figured that it had to something to do with Harry, like, why Terminus? Why this mm-hmm. random monolith vault that's just there that has a null field? What What is this all about? What What is this supposed to do? What is it supposed to make sense? So you kind of figure that there is a reason for it, and he probably put himself there. Like, that's mm-hmm. probably him or his conscience or something that to do with him. But when you actually see that it's actually what we assume to be is him. Right. You kind of think, like, did he just create, like, cloning out of nowhere and he just cloned himself so far in advance that he just threw himself there yeah i don't know and uh i will get into that quickly in predictions there i thought it was uh i thought i thought it was fine i thought the reveal was fine i will say i think it would have been more impactful had we not already had harry come back to life three episodes ago yeah you know what i mean the ship on the on the raven ship i think had this been like a season-long thing and then he came back at this point it would have been like kind of mind-blowing but i think we just we've just seen harry come back to life after death like a couple episodes ago so this doesn't seem as left field or crazy as i think the show wanted it to be in this moment but uh it does bring up a lot of interesting things going into the next episode and potentially uh into season two but um, we're going to go ahead and jump in our predictions here and try to be as quick as possible with it here. Yes. Um, I did want to make one first one while I'm thinking about it, too. Uh, Cyber Erectus, who has been a really great um, contributor and, and oh, yeah. kind of discussing with us on the show. Um, he made a comment on the last episode about uh, uh, about Gale going into hypersleep or, or uh, cryostasis twice. And he says he laughed and said something along the lines of Gale is a, Gale. Uh, Gale seems like she's the sleeper or something like that. <laughs> And it was kind of a throwaway joke. And I remember thinking, uh, I actually think it, that holds a lot more weight than I think he thinks yeah. it does. So I wanted to get into a quick um, a quick uh, theory that I think I brought up in the first episode that I think still holds water now, which is my theory was that the vault is the foundation. So I think what the vault is, is uh, where how whatever they they build with the second foundation on Star's End or, or uh, in Helicon um, that they're building there whatever the fruits of their labor is, is the vault. And it's been left there in the past to be available when this crisis start, when this crisis happens. So that was my theory was, uh, this is like the, the foundation is the, the vault is the foundation. It's kind of the finished product of their, their labor kind of being left for them at an opportune time where it will minimize the dark ages that they go through when these crises start, because I think it's it's no coincidence that this crisis is happening now. The first crisis is happening now, and the vault is opening now. Um, and and so I think it fits with that, and uh, and it ties into the Gale is the sleeper thing too. I think that's possible as well. Um, I yeah, think if, I, I if believe you, it. I think if you factor in the time travel, you factor in the fact six hundred thirty four years. I think it is or thirty nine right. years. And if if we if we're under the assumption that things can potentially travel to the past, which I am with that theory about the vault. 
um, then it could stand to reason that at some point Gales goes back into the past to potentially fix Synax. Um, she meets maybe more primitive people at that point, and she becomes the deity that she was worshiping to begin with. I think yeah. that's uh, very possible, and I think that could be something that's revealed later on and would be kind of interesting. It's like a circular loop at that point. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. What do you think of that uh, prediction? Two, two, the two predictions, uh, just to clarify, the vault is the foundation and Gale yeah. is the sleeper. Those are my two bold predictions that I have right now. I'm going to jump off the time wagon because I've, it's failed me so many times. Yeah. So I'm jumping off the time wagon <laughs> real quick. Instead yeah. of the bandwagon, the time wagon. Yeah, time Point wagon. It. That's mine. Thank you. There you go. Uh, <laughs> You're right, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah. no, I honestly, I think what it is, the first crisis is going to expand more on more stuff. I think we're going to find out more on Salvor, who she really is, because now with Harry there, there's going to be a lot of questions being asked. Um, I think the vault is something else. I think it's kind of like the monolith that it's an ancient relic that helps mankind evolve. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that harken back to the conversation that Salvor had with her dad, Abbas, was they're like, yeah, you know, man came from Earth, apparently, or someplace. Uh, there's and they kind of name drop Earth and stuff like that. And I think the vault could be the monolith that helped mankind evolve. Mm -hmm. And this is where it is now. This is where its current place is, and it's going to help mankind evolve again. Yeah. Um, okay. I just think it's just an ancient relic that that's what it does. Yeah. Um, Harry knew it, but Harry wasn't able to get to it, so he was able to use his uh, this the Orbi thing in Majiggy. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I think anyway. that's what it's actually called, the Orbi thing in Majiggy. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's so the, the uh, scientific term for it. Yeah, the Orgi, uh, <laughs> the Orbi twist twirl open. I think that helped bring some of Harry's consciousness into there and uh, kind of will be the kind of like okay. Kal-El is the spiritual guide of the Fortress of Solitude in Superman. Even yeah. though it's not him, but it's a hologram. I think it's because I think it's the same thing. That it's just a yeah, yeah, Something like that. It mirrors uh, that. That mirrors if it's if it's kind of like a. It's it's funny you say that because that mirrors the knife because yeah. they bring the knife with the little chip on it to the Raven and it's kind of imbued with his consciousness and kind of imbues the ship with the consciousness at that point. So it kind of parallels that where if the um if the I forget what I forgot what it's called too now uh the prime radiant prime yeah, radiant prime radiant <laughs> if the prime radiant um activated the vault and imbued it in kind of a futuristic sense potentially then it would it would kind of imbue it with harry's consciousness at that point too so yeah that's a that's a good point you bring up that i didn't really think of as well um i have one other bold uh prediction that i think tie together really two but they're kind of related okay um i think the insurrectionists got the dna from demerzel uh oh I think so we're bringing back my theory yeah, I think uh, I think uh, I think Demerzel would make the most sense as someone that would be yeah. able to smuggle DNA out. She makes the most sense as people that as being able to implement the changes to the DNA that yes. we I think we've talked about it in a prediction um, previously as well that you brought up um, that she's maybe changing the DNA for Brother Don. So that seems to hold weight as well. But I think, yeah, I think she's working with the insurrectionists. I think she's the one that provided them. And that may be revealed in the next yeah. episode or not. I don't know. But um, the other thing that I was going to bring up as well is I think Harry is an android. So I think he's kind of like Demer. I think the mm. Harry that we're seeing is probably yeah. an android uh, like like Demerzel um that is kind of coming back but those are those are my big bold predictions that are most likely I, all I incorrect them. um but i think yeah they're they're fun yeah. to make guys um do you have any other big ones before we head out um we figure out the who's who's solver's real parents are okay uh in the next episode or in the next season or what do you know you think in, it's gonna be the next episode that we find I, out it's either gonna be the next episode at the beginning of season two because yeah. i think that's such an important thing because the the amount of flashbacks she's having with Gail and Raish and Gail and Raish, there's got to be something to those flashbacks. So mm -hmm. one of those two has to be their her her parents. Right. Like I'm, that's that's my big one. It's we figure out her or her lineage, Heritage. who she yeah. is, and stuff like that. And I think we figure out who was the true perpetrator of the DNA mixer. Like we figure out who it is. Um, yeah, I still I still say it's Jamrazel because I've been calling it, and I hope mm -hmm. to be right. So I think she I think is, so too. I think she's been working with it. And I think her resolve got, got pushed to like, yes, I am going to make sure that this goes and gets destroyed after when she was forced to kill Halima. Mm -hmm. I think that finally made her realize that she was it's a breaking point for her. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah no those are uh yeah those are definitely awesome um so yeah that's that's pretty much it super yep. super big consequential episode uh for this one a lot of a lot of stuff occurred in this one so guys yeah um, be part of the discussion guys if you have any theories or what did you guys think of the episode make sure to drop it in the combats and and discuss that with us uh down below if you guys go to the dismedia.com i did just post a review for dune so a nice. lot of you sci-fi guys might be into my takes on dune potentially so make sure to I check that out i'll link that in the description uh below as well yeah again we're doing the discuss hawkeye podcast so if you guys are into that into marvel at all uh watching this as well join us for that one that one's gonna be a lot of fun Check we're gonna be out. doing like christmas festivities and traditions while we're going through the season nice uh it's gonna be it's gonna be really awesome do you have anything you're working on or any reviews that you posted recently uh, i just posted a review about uh phenomax uh it's a comic i'm working on a switch review for gun young it's a original S, uh, Sega Genesis game that came out in 1991 and they released okay, cool. it for the Switch. And outside of that, that's about it. Um, I'll probably write a review of this episode. It'll probably go up Friday when you guys listen to this. So that way we stay nice. within the current trend of like uh, uh, release schedules and stuff like that and not get in trouble. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's all I got going on. Awesome, man. Well, um, this was amazing. Uh, this was really great. As always, guys, uh, respect and enjoy the peace. May the light never dim, and triple blessings to you all. We'll see you guys later. Take care.